golf uh shies away from it a little bit like a course like sink port is like you know there's just some wild shit that uh, you know <laughs> as, as like in that golf course there's like crazy humps and hollows and blind shots and like you know there's just a, a bunch of different features that like i feel like the american audience like there's a course we have here in the states called tobacco road in north carolina yeah i've seen that it, Oh man, that place is so cool. I've probably played it eight times, and I think it's like the most underrated golf course in America. But a lot of the knock on that is like too weird, like too much weirdness, too much, like too many blind shots, too many crazy bunkers, too many unique features. And it's like, I don't know, to me, that shit's good. Like uh, enough golf in the States feel, I mean, like if you go to Florida and you play, golf courses that are like from the C minus level to the B minus level. If you were to play like 30 of them, then then after I were to like ask you to remember one from the other, you couldn't fucking do it. You'd be like, ah, yeah, there were houses, there were water, there was water, you know, like, I don't really remember, you know, but I feel like at least in the UK, like, you know, you got fucking railroad tracks and shit and stone walls and like all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, man. On the, so the, the last course I was a member at, uh, by the way, I've just, I've just hit, I've hit record because we were talking about some cool shit. So we've started, yeah. um, the, the last golf course I was a member at close house, which is Lee Westwood's, uh, home golf course. Um, the, the 18th is, it literally is protected by a wall and you're often left with <laughs> a minimum of like, 185 maybe to, to to the front edge so you know if you get a bit of a, if you get a bit of a breeze into and you pick the wrong club you can quite you, you quite often get stuck behind a wall which is like so infuriating but when you finish around you're like hang on that's actually really fucking cool like i was stuck cool behind feature. <laughs> americans would not stomach that like like there are courses that'll have trees in the middle of the fairway and stuff where you have to like pick one side or the other and half the people who play it are like it's fucking bullshit having a tree in the middle there's like a certain, I don't know if this is, I think, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think maybe the weather component with the UK influences this. But I think American golfers are put off when they feel like they can't score what they're used to scoring. Yeah. And so if they go and play a golf course where there's some like weird shit or like the first time you play it, you're just not going to know it well enough to like score well, or like it's got so much character, but it's also really hard. Like, like the stadium course at PGA West is a good example. I have plenty of friends who hate that place. They think it's too hard. Every hole's a nightmare. Like I can't shoot my usual 83 there, <laughs> you know, like, and, and that's, that bothers them rather than just being like, Hey, this is a harder golf course. If my 83 is going to have to be a 90 and I'm going to have to be happy with that. Like Americans are not willing to do that. Yeah. My, Versus that, that's like, really, in that's, the UK, yeah. like you're used to, it'll blow 40. And there are just some fucking, you know, rain sideways. And there are some days where it's just like add 10 to whatever you usually shoot. And that's a hell of a score, you know? Yeah, yeah. Th there's definitely an acceptance for that. You, you, you are right. And, but maybe that's a bit, uh, maybe that's part of the reason why I, I guess match play is perhaps a bit more well adopted and embraced traditionally in, in the UK. Is because maybe we looked outside saw the weather and thought, fuck trying to put a score together on this. Let's, yeah, just, play, absolutely. Let, let, let's yeah. just do, let, let's just play match play. And, it's, and then, you know, it's me against you, not me, me against the course. Yeah. And I think absolutely. Um, I, I, another point as well, something that I've sort of picked up on social media is a lot of the people I follow in, in the U S 
like they re- they're really bad at only posting the good shit, right? Like, you, I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if it's too much for journalists comment to say, you know, it's it, it's a difference between America and the UK in terms of who's more willing to show their bad shit. But definitely from from my from my feed, it's like it's almost more of an embarrassment to post bad numbers or to post bad swings. It's always right. like the guy, you know, he'll take he'll try to hit a stinger 17 times, record all of them. And then he puts the best one on his Instagram and goes like, look at me hitting the stinger. Yeah, man. Like, you know, I'm sure I'm sure Eric <laughs> Lang, I'm sure Eric Lang's like self-deprecating on his longer videos that I, I don't really watch. But I mean, you know, I think the guys are probably low single figures, mid, mid single figures. But I haven't seen him post one bad swing. Right. I, like, I think that's absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. And I also think, I mean, I I was just having this discussion with another buddy of mine that I think like one of the worst, most corrosive things about recreational golf is like people's need to keep score and that Mm. we should be more like you guys where you have a game. If you're out of the hole, pick it the fuck up and let's go. You know, like we don't need to sit around waiting for you to grind out your 12 footer for double bogey when I'm already in for a four and the hole's over, like, let's move on. Let's keep it going. Like, why are we, you know, and then people like will leave like pissed off and dissatisfied. Like I haven't posted a score for my handicap since 2007. (laughs) I don't care what my handicap is. If someone wants to have like a game with me, I will give them an honest assessment of where my game is at because like, I don't want to like having a match and like destroying the guy because like the strokes were unfair like that's not fun. Like I, I get no special pleasure out of that. You know, like that feels greasy. So like I will always give an honest assessment in setting up a game with somebody of where I think my game is at and what I think would be fair. And and just say, look, I'm not like I don't keep it fucking handicap. You know, like I, 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 I will tell you where I'm at, but beyond that, like I don't see the need to if I'm like eight holes in and I'm not playing a match and I'm hitting the ball shitty. I'm trying all kinds of shit, you know, and I'm, and I know that it's going to make my score worse and worse and worse. And I'm going to hit some awful shots and I'm not going to bother going to look for them and whatever else. Like it's so much lower, like stress. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like I'd much rather be, uh, I'd much rather have my handicap too low and, uh, and struggle to get shots to my opponent than, than the other way around. I like, I, for example, I, I play off eight, right? That, that's my official handicap right i haven't adjusted to the new system to have a fucking clue what it is with that system um but i'm, I'm off eight but I, I last year i might i think i shot i think i shot two rounds in the 70s and they're both 79s on a on a short on a short golf course right so i i didn't really post a i didn't really post anything under under an eight over under an eight over par uh, but i still play off eight like I'm, I, and as well i think when people become so attached to the score I think they limit how good they can get at golf because they're always looking to protect the score. They don't take shots on. They don't learn how to hit the ball both ways. They don't take pins on. It's just, I, I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot to be said for you know. And not fairways, only that, but when too, they but, when they do, yeah, and when they do stupid things on the golf course, which Lord knows we all do, like you know, because of that component of the score, it like bothers them a lot, you know, and and, and will have the capacity to make someone feel shitty. In what's supposed to be like a leisure experience, absolutely. And I, I think something that would be really, I think, I've, I think we've discussed actually on the podcast before. It just rings a bell as I, as I go to say it, but it would be really cool and interesting to see club golfers uh, be able to have the opportunity to play major championship venues from the tips the week after a major championship event because. 
I really think no, yeah. then we'd be fucking humbled because we all say we're off eight, seven, eleven, one, whatever, whatever you're off. You try and stick to that fucking handicap off the tips at Keir Island. You can. <laughs> there is not a chance not in hell you are playing your handicap on a seven thousand eight hundred yard golf course. It was it got like ten or eleven seaside holes. Uh, some of the most windy conditions you'll find in in the US. Like that. That's really when you get to see the contrast and ability and quality of golf between between us and between them. I mean, and, go have fun at Oakmont the day after a US Open. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Like and you'll figure out real fast just how big the gulf between whatever you are and the pros is. That's for certain. I think that professional might, segue, yeah. by the way, to Kiowa Island. I must say. Oh, thank, thank, thank you very much. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I saw Justin Thomas post a beautiful flushed iron on. Is it seventeen? The long par three. It was. Yeah, was that hole's brutal. One one nine eight to cover the front, and he hit a four iron, and he hit it in the water. <laughs> That's saying something. I mean, you know, that's probably his two forty club, two thirty five, maybe. Yeah, you could probably get. You could probably like a normal day in Florida. You'd hit what? You probably hit a seven iron, eight maybe. Yeah, you could squeeze yeah. it there. Yeah, that's a big. That's a long way to hit an eight, but yeah. I've, I've, I've seen DJ hit a hit a pitch one. I think one eighty. I mean, it was probably downhill right. and down downwind, but I've, <laughs> it's not. It's not completely unheard of. But yeah, it, it, it's going to be really interesting this week. Um. I hope it blows a gale, Sam. I really do. I, I hope. Yeah, I, hope, I, I took hope a look at the nasty. forecast actually before we hopped on here. It's not supposed to blow crazy. I mean, it's going to be there the whole time, like mm. because of the location. There's almost not going to be any, you know, stretch where there's like no wind. But they don't have on in the forecast any days that are supposed to be like 20, 25, 30, like none of that. But it's supposed to be a pretty consistent ten to twenty for most of it. Which you know, you start gusting up to twenty, that makes a big difference. And that golf course in particular. Like to me, the hardest thing about it is that the way that it's situated on, you know, basically like right up against the ocean, uh, it runs kind of parallel to the ocean. So the breeze is almost always, I mean, there may be three or four holes that this is not the case for, but the other 14, the breeze blows straight across the hole, either from left to right or right to left. <laughs> and so from the tee, like I, I had, I remember playing it and having some experiences where it's like you're aiming it ten yards into the gorse, like knowing that, like, okay, I, I I'm just gonna hit a good one, and if the wind dies, it's gonna be in the junk, you know. Like managing your your tee ball and those crosswinds, I think, is really gonna be like the big challenge for everybody. And when I've when I've sort of looked at the the setup and and the players and and who to pick, I'm having a real hard time, Sam. So I'd like to get your opinion on. Do I back the longer hitters or the better ball strikers? Because I, I've got a, I've got a weird sneaky feeling that we're going to get like a Lou Yu stays at the top of the leaderboard, a shorter, really solid win player uh, over a long hitter because it's been talked about. It's you know it's the longest major championship venue in in history. Of course that those headlines bring into contention of the longer hitters. It's like Brooks, Bryson, Rory, usual suspects. But maybe, just maybe, this is a week for the ball strikers. What, what do you think? I definitely think that, uh, I mean, look, it's a healthy amount of golf course from all the way back there. And so obviously, you know, as is true pretty much everywhere, length will never hurt you, you know, and it will always be an asset. But uh, it, it is a penal golf course if you get astray. And so I think that... Uh, 
length without accuracy will not be particularly valuable. Like if you're long and you can hit fairways with length, that will be a huge asset. But I, I don't fancy, you know, a guy like Bryson, if he's not hitting the fairways, I think it's going to be brutal. Was in Rory first round at the Open uh, at Port Rush brutal? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. You know, I, I think, you know, I think, uh, but I mean, look, he also might be a guy that finds out, you know, figures out how to two iron his way around, which I've ne- I'm yet to see him do. Not that he had, not that he necessarily had to to win at Wingfoot or, or anywhere else. But I don't, I don't really see that gear in him, and I just don't think it's a great golf course in terms of setting up well for like a just fucking belt it and go find it. Like there's too much trouble out there that uh, awaits less than perfect tee shots, and like in the wind, especially if he starts throwing out some of those moon balls. You know, I, I, I like. I think Justin Thomas is going to find a lot of use for that. Like, you know, I don't know if you remember that like little low hook driver thing that he hit it. Uh, tpc sawgrass on 16 yes i do but like shots like that i think are going to be very valuable you know if you can get some length out of it put the ball in play uh you know i wouldn't necessarily just look straight for length here even though you know because the thing is is like you know 530 yards is a pretty long par four by the modern standard that's still not less than five iron for anybody like that that's maybe a driver and a six for you know, like most of the longest guys at the most, you know, they're hitting one out there 340 and their second shots, you know, one night could be a seven iron, you know? Mm. So I think as much as like the length makes a big difference, it's still not like long enough that I think like that is going to be the overwhelming factor in success out there. Okay. Moving, moving on from what we think. So what, what parts of the game we think are going to, are going to factor in particular let's focus on the players and let's focus on who we think has a real shot this week let's start with let's start with some some players who perhaps don't get enough airtime enough coverage but have still got a real shot this week i gotta credit Borlinks' ceo danny wax who kind of put this guy on my radar but honest abe answer's been playing some good golf and uh he's one of those guys that will avoid a lot of the trouble spots he's starting to putt better he's been consistent i think he's like got six five or six top 20 finishes in a row uh i think you know if you're looking for kind of sneaky guys i don't think he'd necessarily be such a bad one no i i, I think that's a really that's a really good shout he actually nearly won the other week where did he nearly win uh where rory was um where did, where did he nearly win he won he nearly won two or three weeks ago uh uh, before we uh, had a good quail week hollow, at Quail, right? Oh, maybe no, maybe it was a Quail Hollow. Yeah, I think he came second. Uh yeah, he he had he had a really good Sunday, and he kind of posted a score and sat back and waited. My two, my two players who I'm thinking are both South Africans: Louis Ustazen, Open Championship winner, and Charles Schwartzel. Have you noticed seen his Ooh, name? That's a sneaky his, pick. His name's been 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 messing around with the leaderboard recently. He's a hundred to one, and Louis Ustazen is uh, sixty six to one. I think they're tremendous odds. Yeah, I mean, for you know, and as a guy who has shown some capacity uh, to play windy conditions well, I wouldn't be. He, he's a good. I like him as a sneaky choice. 
Yeah, for sure. Now, now moving into the sort of the more more of the mainstream, um, but who are under fifty to one. You have a banter at forty five to one. I love that bet. I love that shout from you. By the way, I think I think they're incredible odds. Um, you've got Cameron Smith and Tony Finau, both forty to one. Both hard to ignore at that price, um, especially when you consider some of the some of the level of golf that Tony Finau especially is is capable of. You just wonder, is his story just waiting to unfold um, in a real, really dramatic venue like Kiwa, right? Um, I think that could potentially happen. What did you, what did you make of, um, what did you make of John Spieth's performance last week? Do you think he's got a chance this week? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. Uh, I think that, uh, I think it's hard to win tournaments like last week. Like, I don't care how good you're playing. Like you're up against 155 guys, and a couple of them are going to play, you know, at at the red line, you know, component of their game. And when 24, 22, I, mean, I don't remember what the, you know the winning score was up around there somewhere. I just think it's one of those things that like you can't afford one day where the putts aren't going in. And so for Spieth, like you know, on Friday and a little and Sunday, he didn't putt particularly well. Like he didn't putt that poorly, but he didn't putt well. And I mean, at 24 under, you got to shoot six under four times in a row just to make a fucking playoff. So, like, you know, if you have a cold day or two with the putter, you can you can otherwise be playing some pretty good golf. So I think I, I guess I saw all I really needed to see from Spieth last week in terms of that, like the COVID didn't like knock him on his ass. Like the form that he had is still there. Like that opening round 63 was great. Uh, you know, on Saturday that eagle at 18 to get himself kind of at least within like striking distance going into Sunday, I thought it was like vintage Jordan Spieth. Uh, so I'm definitely bullish on his chances. And I think if the golf course is going to play difficult and and it remains to be seen if it will, because I, I'll say this, that Kiwa is one of those golf courses where the grass is such that it doesn't lend itself that well to firm conditions. I don't think uh, it's like that past Palum That's kind of like designed to take a lot of like sea air and salt. And, and it's just not, like it holds water pretty well, uh, which is you know a good thing in terms of keeping it healthy. But in terms of trying to get a fast golf course, I think it's a little bit harder with that kind of grass. Uh, I just think that that the setup, like I, I, you could set up that golf course with no wind, and as hard as people think it is, like those guys could shoot a number out there. But you know, a combination of how firm is it and the setup, uh, you know, I, I it, it could end up being an easier test. I think than maybe some people think so it's hard to say but if it does turn into a, a difficult challenge speed short game his ability to save pars his ability to compete i think you know it could be like guys like him or like a patrick reed if the conditions are tough you gotta fancy those guys yeah and as well for, for jordan spieth now that he's proven himself he can win now that he's back playing really good golf in form um Let's let's not forget this is the this is the major needs for his career Grand Slam. I think people forget mm -hmm. about that. And it would be amazing if he got his before Rory got his. And what a venue to get it at! Like I think I think Q is a pretty special PJ Championship venue. Uh, maybe it's just because the the war on the shore maybe added a layer of depth to it. But um, I think it's a really really cool venue. Um, I may think Pete Dye is part of that story. Yeah, you look at you know Pete Dye creates very dramatic golf courses that, from an aesthetic perspective and a television perspective, are really engaging to watch. And so I, I agree with you that that Kia was a, a among the PGA Championship venues a pretty cool one. What, what I love about the the Pete Dye story with, with the Kia design is originally it was actually designed to be sat behind the dunes. I think his wife 
said no let's let's raise the whole golf course so you have you have uh, ocean views on on as many holes as possible um I, I, I don't know, I, I love that little story because I, I love nothing more visually than a dramatic golf course I, I wouldn't want to be I wouldn't want to have sand dunes hiding my views you know I'd want to see all the insulations all the dunes the sea like I'd want that full view um but obviously inherently it probably makes the the course difficult more difficult because you're more exposed to the wind right um so I like like that little, sure. little bit of nuanced story there and you mentioned before about the uh about the was it the paspalum grass that you mentioned yes that's got an interesting story did you hear about how that made its way to the US no so in the 1700s, um, a ship carrying, I think it was about six or 700 Africans for sale, um, to mask the smell of the death and disease, the ship was bedded with Angolan grass and the same turf will be, the same turf is used at Keir Island. And that's the, the no Paspalum story, yeah. I did not know. Where the hell did you come across that piece of information? The Golfer's Journal. Good Paul. The Golfer's Journal uh, tells some cool stories. I did not know that. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, backstory to it. I mean, supposedly it, it it's a it's designed for the location that Kiowa is in. That if you have kind of salty air, seaside, you know, like a lot of like mist and fog and kind of you know uh, uh, you know something that you need to be able to handle a little bit of moisture in the air and and a lot of salt in the air. That supposedly this is the grass that can do it. So I think. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, that's the biggest thing for me to see, like starting coming like right out of the gates early on Thursday. I want to see how firm that golf course is, because if it is firm, like I could see that place being a nightmare. If it's not, I could see it being scoreable. Well, um, we'll, we'll move on to our our sort of more solidified picks in a little bit, Sam. Um, mm-hmm. But what what I want to first sort of discuss is and really understand your thoughts is we, something we've discussed quite often on this podcast is about the sort of the status of the PJ Championship and where it stands in the golfing community, how much weight it actually holds um, and what the future of it looks like. Do, do you think uh, dramatic golfing landscapes are a big part of what the PJ Championship needs to adopt in order to remain totally. relevant? Totally agree. I think uh, the PJ has always lacked for a an identity. And uh, it it had a little bit of that when it was all match play, but I understand like for television reasons and a slew of other reasons why it'll never be that again. But, uh, now the, the problem is it's in like, and for a little while it had the identity of we're the last one, you know? So enjoy it because you don't get another major championship for seven months. I think it needs an identity more so now with the May date on the calendar than it even did before when it was the last one because like it's easy to to to, to say that hey fuck it the u.s opens in like three weeks anyway i'm more excited for that like pga is kind of a like you know a, 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 yeah it's almost like a warm-up for the two opens in the summer and so i think it does need to carve out something about it that is unique to the pga and i definitely think that uh, the golf course is an area where it could do some cool stuff where they could go to places that you don't see a lot of, like I thought whistling straights was a cool venue. Obviously Keel Island's a cool venue. I think they need to be really focused on making it so that the host venues are great. And that will, 
that will give it that elevated feel of importance. You know, it's it's part of what makes the U.S. Opens too is that a lot of them are at fantastic. You know, most of them are at first rate, top tier. The Shinnecocks, the Wingfoots, the Oakmonts, the Myrians. You know, they're going to to some of the best of the best, and I think to the extent that the PGA can do that, you know, it should certainly seek to do that. Yeah, I, I again, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I just wish maybe maybe they are talking about that in the background. I just wish they were more vocal about what they want this championship to be. Um, I don't think, and I don't think you need that same, uh, that same sort of uh, clarity with the other championships because they all have their thing, right? You've got Augusta doesn't need anything saying about it. The U.S. Open, obviously the most difficult. It's the National Open. It, it it's treasured. The U.K. It's U.S.'s best golf courses, and then you've obviously got the the, the British Open, the Open Championship, which is um, obviously you know takes golf back to its roots, link style. All you know the rosters are absolutely incredible. They don't need to. They don't need to establish their identity. They don't need that. The PJ Championship can't pretend. They can't 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 try and sort of uh, take from any of those three major championships and what they hold. What they need to do is establish their own identity and be clear about what they want to achieve. And I think the two things they need to focus on are dramatic golfing landscapes and absolutely riled up fans, like louder than loud fans. It needs to be an absolute raucous. It needs to be like a, it needs to be a, it needs to be a, a waste management open type atmosphere to it, where people are desperate to go there for the spectacle on and off the golf course. Um, I think that's going to be a large part of what will maintain its relevance because. It'll be interesting to see, especially like you say, with, with this May Day, what the PGA Championship actually means to these players in 10 years. Like, do, does golf ever get to a point where it, it swaps in a tournament for a major, where the PGA Championship gets forgotten about? Like, is that even, is that possible? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, but I would say that uh, it would take a pretty big revision of kind of the history books of golf to change the relevancy of the PGA mm. as compared to a player's championship, you know, or some of the world golf championships. And I think, a, you know, especially like a new event, if you were to start something out of left field, unless it had like, I, I don't really know even what it would take for it to have this kind of thing, but if it was something where like the gravity of the event was apparent from jump street, you know, maybe that could knock out the PGA, but if they tried to pull like an LPGA where they're like, okay, well now the Evian Masters is a major or whatever. Fuck that shit. I, I just don't think that'll go over. Like everybody's, you know, it's been decades now where the PGA has been the fourth leg of the Grand Slam. And uh, I, I just don't see that changing. I think it's like the thing that the, the best thing the PGA has going for it is that element to it that it's got like sort of a historical inertia against getting booted out of that spot. But I agree with you on the fan side of it too. And, and that's something that can be done. Uh, if you, if you pay a lot of attention to the fan experience, but I'll say this about the PGA, you need only look at, at the mobile offerings of the different major championships to understand why the PGA feels like a distant fourth that they just don't like Augusta every aspect of the digital presentation on the iPad on the phone is immaculate it's it's you know they went to the showing you every shot thing before anybody else did that the app was always miles ahead of anybody else's the USGA has come a long way in that regard their apps getting a lot better even the open championships app is very good now uh but the PGA is still 
like it, it feels like they haven't updated it in four years and it's the jankiest one and and it to me is kind of indicative of not enough attention being paid to the consumer experience of the championship and i think if they adopted a mindset that was more customer focused that way both in terms of its audience at home and on site that it could carve out it, it could make it feel more you know have a little bit more gravitas if if they had that relentless commitment to excellence across every aspect of the championship the way that like a masters tournament does yeah 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 i, I couldn't agree with you more i think i remember in 2018 i uh, i was in portugal um on the between wednesday and sunday of the pga chat of the pga championship right so i watched a lot watched the first three days in portugal when i was on a golf trip um got back on the sunday went to stick it on sky sports i was like where the fuck is it it, it wasn't even possible to watch it on digital television in the uk i had to, to watch on my laptop that you couldn't stream you had to have an HDMI lead. I didn't have one at the time. Yet you, you weren't allowed to stream it, and you had to watch it on the PJ fucking website. I've sat there, watched one of the most electric final rounds of golf I'll ever see in the context. What year of was this? 2018 Tiger. The Tiger. Oh, God, the Tiger is, yeah, just uh, that whole yeah. narrative. Brooks Kepka playing amazing golf. Like that was one of the most electric electric rounds of golf ever. Ever like the the noise, totally the stand of play, the stand of iron play was just fucking ridiculous. His putter was hot; it was incredible. I had to watch it on a fucking laptop. Now, the round completely overwhelmed me to the point where I didn't really fucking care. But the point is, I, I, it, it wasn't accessible to me to watch. I'm like, fuck! They need to be careful. They really need to be careful before people just like it's just too hard for people to access, and they'd rather they'd rather just watch the highlights on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that uh, that that element, I mean, you look at, at you know, and obviously it's going to be hard for the for the PGA to catch up to the Masters in this regard. Mm. But even you know, going back decades, you know, part of what made the Masters the Masters is that Greg Norman in, you know, as a boy in Australia was waiting to see the the feed you know of the masters from home at four in the morning the next day or whatever you know that 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 exposure to it if you start if you slack a little on your on your accessibility to people that they just won't develop that intimate connection with your event the way that they they will if they have that opportunity yeah man couldn't couldn't, couldn't agree more with you um it'll be interesting we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see what it brings next year's of course southern hills um, which brings the Tiger Woods narrative into play. Um, obviously, released this week on on the big cart. Um, I didn't really know what to take from it, saying that they were waiting for blood circulation to to to, re- to resume to normal in his in his injured foot before you'd start any sort of rehab schedule. Um, I took it quite positively. That being said, I think I think next year's PGA Championship would look. It would be so cool if the big cart went there defending at Southern Hills. Yeah, I I am. Uh cautiously optimistic about tiger's future in the game i think a lot of those people who talked about that's it it's over uh i think he's going to prove a lot of those people wrong if he does if he does like like we needed another layer of depth to the tiger story but fuck me if he if he came back from this if he got a win after this if he even won a major fuck if he broke jack's record after this fucking car incident i mean like you could not, you could not have written a better golfing career. 
Well, you, you can't anyway, but fuck me. I'm, I'm literally getting like, I'm, I'm literally getting like, I'm getting like nervous and shaky and goosebumpy just thinking about what I would feel like if Tiger went and broke Jack's record post-car crash, man. I think in a weird way, and I mean, like, I obviously don't mean to make light of how brutal it, this must be to go through if you're him and everything, but... Uh, <laughs> you I, think he's I enjoying think, it? <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I was going to say uh, that I could make a pretty good case that his motivation for the game will have will go to a place that it would not have gone otherwise but for the accident. I think his big mountain was, can I get 15? It had been 10 years. Can I get 15? I haven't won one since all that shit happened with me after the fucking, you know, after Thanksgiving and whatnot. I haven't won one in a decade. Can I go get that one? And when he got it, we saw almost instantly like a pretty big rollback, you know, and, and, and health has a lot, to, has a fair amount to do with this, etc. But he just did not seem nearly as motivated after that. For the rest of that year, he did not, you know, it just, it, you didn't get the feeling like he was half as hungry as he was before that. No, I, and I, think, I think, yeah. yeah, you're right. And I think that this will be just another one of those things that, that for a guy as competitive as he is, as driven as he is, that the challenge of winning a major after this, you know, to do to do what Hogan did, that that will dance in his mind in a way that I think will motivate him. You know, you watch that, like, I, I just watched that Jordan documentary again. And those guys need, those kinds of guys who have climbed the highest mountains there are to climb in their respective sports, those guys would need to find little things that would that would light that fire inside them you know, sometimes not even real things, but like perceived slights and whatnot. And I, I could easily see how in the post-accident era for Tiger that he will end up hungrier than he would have been otherwise. And I don't for a second think he's done in this game at all. Oh, man, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I love the optimism. I, I listened to a podcast with uh, Dave Chappelle on, on, Joe, on the uh, Joe Rogan experience earlier today. And they were talking about the... Um, the fascination in boxing with uh, with with the zero right with the with, with the with the undefeated fighters, and mm-hmm. they were discussing whether it was more great to avenge a bad loss or go through adversity and reach and reach new heights as opposed to just going through your whole career undefeated. And they made a really interesting point that um, it's it's a different level of greatness, a different level of. It brings out a different level of drama, of greatness, of of skill, of attitude, of just grit to avenge a loss or to come back from adversity. And I, I, I actually cited on on Dave Chappelle's side where, you know, you, you, a, a player's career, a, a true great in any sport, a, a player's career needs adversity for it to really ring true with with, with the audience and, and to really solidify the name in history. Right? You you need you need that. You need that, you know, David versus Goliath. You need the the antagonists. You need the you need the call the call to adventure, right? You need the hero story. The hero always starts off with a with an issue, right? He, it, like the look of the Hercules, right? Comes up against the gods, and it's all good, mm-hmm. right? You you need that you need that call to adventure. You need that um they, they need that adversity to be truly great. And I think that's that can that couldn't be more true with with Tiger. And I think that's perhaps what. What stands him aside from Jack Nicholas and how different those two careers are? I don't know Jack Nicholas's career half as well, um, but I know for a fact Tiger's is riddled with a lot more controversy and adversity than, than Jack's ever was. 
For sure. And I also think, too, I, you know, I, I hesitate to say this because I'm not sure he would agree, but uh, I think Jack suffered in his later years from a dearth of motivation and, and, and because he didn't have that component you know, of, of a big comeback story he was trying to get or something along those lines, that because he didn't have that, uh, I think that kind of slowed him down like after 1980. You know, after he kind of, you know, ended up putting Jones's record in the rear view by a fair amount. And I think that, you know, he started like becoming much more into the, the design business and, you know, his business interests occupied a lot of his time and attention his family occupied a lot of his time and attention. I, I think he, I mean, I, I feel like I've heard him say that he was just not as hungry in the eighties as he was in the sixties and seventies and fifties. And a guy like tiger has, you know, you could argue this one as unlucky of course, but, but has at least had the, the gift of motivating forces as his career has progressed when there were no more, uh, what's that great? There's a great like old quote. Uh, I forget who the it's like a Greek mythology quote, but it's basically something to the effect of, you know, and Hercules wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. There's a, a, a dynamic of that that I think Tiger avoided because there was still another mountain always ahead of him. Mm. You know, like once that post accident happened, you know, that that there was a clear objective and hill for him to climb that he didn't need to manufacture, you know, to get motivated to do. Uh, and so I think in some ways, like he, he benefited from being engaged by that additional challenge later in his life. For sure. And I think the same could be perhaps said for Roy McElroy. Um, and look at, look, well, look yeah. what's come, look what's come back around potentially full circle. Wouldn't it be amazing for, for, for Roy to get the win this week? Um, you yeah. Know, Having had the success at Key Island in 2014, hasn't won a major for, for, for what, seven years now. Um, to get his sort of comeback when at Quail Hollow somewhere, he's now won three times. And to then get his uh, his, his major championship winning streak started again back at Keogh Island would be would, would be something special. I think it would it would speak a lot to Roy's character. And I, I do think his his uh, his career would, um, would reach new heights and accelerate to new levels if he could get the win done this week specifically. Um, let's uh let, let, let's move on to the pick and pull, Sam. Um, we'll we'll blitz through them, then we'll do a few parlays for everyone. Um, it's obviously a, a full field of, of the world's best golfers. It's gonna be very very difficult pick and pulls to get right, but um, let's give it a go. All righty, Group A: Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Xander Shoffley, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas. Before I forget, I'll jump in on John Rahm. Uh, someone had a great line. I forget who it was. I, I read it and I can't place it now. But uh, they said John Rahm has a lot of major championship experience that looks a lot better four years later on Wikipedia than it did at the time. And the point the guy is making is that John Rahm's got a lot of top 10 and top five finishes in major championships for a guy that I can't remember really contending in very many. Yeah, I, like, I, look I at the Masters as an example. Story. He finished. Did you even know? I didn't even know until recently that he finished, or at least didn't notice that he finished tied for third at Augusta. When? Like this year. Fuck off! What? 
Or if it wasn't third, it was like sixth. How did he finish? How, 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 did he, how did he close out? Like, birdie, 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 birdie. I don't remember, but I, I when I read that, I was like, really? Are you sure? Hold on, let me pull up the leaderboard now. Because I don't remember him being... Yeah, he finished tied fifth. He finished one shot back of Steve. Yeah, the sixth in the final tied. round. Right, you know. And and so, like, if you go and look at that on Wikipedia four years from now, it's going to be like a top five finish in a major for John Rum. But he wasn't even on the radar. I thought he missed the fucking cut. I swear to God. Like when I, when I was, I was writing, I was starting to work on the blog for this week's preview. And I was saying like, John Rahm hasn't had a lot of success since he had a kid, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm looking at his results and I'm like, fuck, I'm wrong. You know, like he's had top tens. He just hasn't factored. So I don't, I don't, I see him being maybe a good fantasy choice for that reason, but I don't like him as a winner. Out of this group, my pick's going to be uh, Justin Thomas. Yeah, I just I, think mm. I think he was a great setup for him, and and I think it's the kind of golf course where you need to be a, a little bit more precise. That raw length isn't all of it. The ability to manage your ball flights, to think your way around the golf course, is going to be rewarded. If he putts well at all, I think he'll be he'll have a sniff. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think he's the best ball striker on tour at the moment. Let's just look at the the quality of golf he played at, at, at the players this year. It was it was really, really, really high level stuff. Um, and you talk about you no, know, not all being about raw distance, but Justin Thomas has has got bombs in his locker. He he, he can hit the ball a long way still. Um, yeah, like you say, it's just a matter of if the flat tech's going to be working from this week. I'd agree that that he he'd be my pick, but. There's just the, 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 the sort of the, the poet inside me. You can't resist, Rory. I, I, can't, I, I knew it. I can't resist that ro- the romanticism of, of Rory getting <laughs> his win back at Kiwa. I, I, I agree, and I'm, I'm certainly pulling for him to be part of the story. You know, I would love... My only thing with Rory is that uh, he's one of those guys that's so... Uh, like, like, if he finds it, his high end of his game is so good that he can have a great week and win, even though, like, he may not be feeling like he's on firing on all cylinders. And so I'm a little curious whether what we saw at Quail is like what Rory's rest of the year is going to look like. You know, if it's going to be that level where he's back to being the guy that's in the top 10 every week, contending all the time. You know, I don't know if I will need to see one or two more weeks that are of, of that kind of caliber to feel like he's really turned a corner. And so I think he kind of comes into the week with more, you know, a little bit of a question of was that a one week thing or is that, you know, is he found something that's sustainable in his game? One stat that stands out for me from uh, the week at Quail Hollow that I think will, that I think sort of tipped me to, to back him is my favorite. Yes, he's the betting favorite, right? It's Rory McIlroy. You always sound stupid saying he's going to win, but really what, what, um, what, what, what sort of leads me to believe that he will win this week is the fact he made 52 putts inside six feet, out of 52 putts inside six feet at Quail Hollow. And that for me is just like, that gives me a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence. Yeah, and, and in major, I mean, that, that was always the formula with Tiger, wasn't it? That in those major championships, those six, eight footers, there was nobody better when he needed those to save pars, when he needed him to keep the round going. You know, when he would have those nine-hole stretches where he wasn't hitting the ball and he needed to find something, that he would make those six, eight-foot par putts to keep him in the golf tournament. And if if Rory can bring that with him, uh, you know, it's going to be an extremely valuable asset. 
What do you think about Bryson this week? And DJ, for that matter. Both, I'm really struggling to, to, to place my thoughts on, to be to be very frank. Uh, Bryson's mm-hmm. been like hit and miss, a bit squirrely, good in places. Um I can't remember his, I can't remember I can't remember watching him and being amazed by him recently. The last the, the last the he's been very quiet since his little uh, two week duel with Lee Westwood, hasn't he? And um and Dustin Johnson more of the same. He he hasn't really factored uh for a while. I can't I can't think of his last good performance. Um I'm sure it was his on goes is what I'm trying to make is what I'm making out, but those two guys could quite easily factor, but they're not showing me anything of late that would help like, lead me to believe that they've got more of a chance than Rory, Justin, or Jordan, for sure. Um, but I would, look, I wouldn't be surprised if if either of them won. Of course, it's Bryson and Dustin Johnson, but um, I I don't I, yeah I just haven't I haven't seen it enough good stuff from them to, to to you know to have them as part of the the winners conversation. Yeah, and I just I don't know. For for whatever reason, uh, I just I, in the majors, I'm I'm in ingrained. You, I would have said this. In fact, I'm pretty sure I did say it a number of times going into Wingfoot that his game seems not that well suited. Like it's odd, but like to me, his game does not seem suited for U.S. Open. Does not seem suited for an Open Championship. Doesn't seem like it fits major championship golf particularly well, uh, especially of course like Keough Island. But I would have said that about Wingfoot too. So that kind of is like, you know, that's the the difficult thing with him is that that win at Wingfoot will take whatever argument you have about the downside of his game and put it to rest because that is the quintessential example of the type of golf course that shouldn't tolerate the way he plays. So you never know, I guess, is really where I'm going. Yep, and DJ? Something's off there. I don't yeah. know if it's injuries or whatnot, but it's like he went from like first, second, first, second, first, second, like every fucking week at the end of last summer to that guy. I mean, he missed he missed a cut at Augusta, if I recall correctly, uh, and and just has not really been a. I, I don't remember him being a factor like in a while now. And and I've seen more column inches devoted to like why isn't he playing and what's wrong with DJ and that than like talking about how well he played yesterday. So I, I think his game there's something something's a little squirrely there. Should we move on to Group B? Let's do it. Hideki Matsuyama, Jordan Spieth, Webb Simpson, Brooks Kepka, Tony Finau, Colin Morikawa. I mean, for Group B, that's there's a lot of talent there. Ah. Uh, I mean, I got to go speed. I fucking love the guy. I, I want him to win. Um, I, I think it's not necessarily the world's dumbest choice either, but I'm going with my heart and, and picking speed. I think, uh, I think his game is turning in the right direction. I think while Augusta, he kind of, uh, you know, sort of stops and starts at Augusta a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. Uh, I think he knows now that his game is in a place where he can get back to contending in major championships again. And I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't win one. I wouldn't be surprised if at least he's a big storyline coming into the Sunday, if not this week at, at Torrey Pines or at uh, St. George's that his game is, is just everything seems to be going in the right direction there. Yeah. I, I'm struggling not to pick Jordan Spieth. Um, but so uh, uh, this is a stupid choice. I'm gonna go. With Tony. I'm, I'm going Tony Finau. Uh, 
I think this is potentially a really good group to go low ownership on. I think people are going to be drawn towards Spieth. They're going to be drawn sure. towards, if not Spieth, Kepka. And then Matsuyama and Morikawa are going to be obvious next choices, right? With Matsuyama obviously coming, you know, fresh off a, fresh off the win at Augusta last uh, yeah last month, and obviously Morikawa is a defending champion. Um, I think it's going to be a low ownership choice, and I just think this could be the combination of length and ball striking needed in terms of what the golf course requires for 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 Tony Finau to uh, to prevail and and be the victor. Um, I don't know. I, I just think he really deserves a dramatic landscape in which to win, right? I, I want to see a cool fucking picture on 18 with the Wanamaker Trophy. I think it's the easiest major to win that could accelerate um, his career further. Um, and let's not forget, he, he does show up in major championships. He's had some very strong finishes and, and contended on multiple occasions. It's not like he's a complete noob and, and bottles it. Um, he's been there, thereabout. And I, I listened to an interview with him uh, this week. And he said that, um, and it really got me, this is probably the re- real reason why I'm picking him, but he said there are only a few guys who really deep down believe that they can win one of these things, and, and I'm definitely one of them. And I just, I love that. He, he's full of self-belief. It couldn't have ha- it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So I'm rooting for Tony Fina. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly agree with the point you just made about how the PGA Championship is probably the easiest major to, to win as a first-timer. Uh, like in terms of getting your first major championship, that that out of the four, it's probably the easiest one to make as your first. Uh, and it's probably why it, it. I'm pretty. I could be wrong about this, maybe, but I got to think that it out of the four majors, it's the one that has the most one and done winners in terms of like single time major champions that never won another major, but that PGA. Yeah, Keegan Bradley, Jason Duffner, Justin Thomas for now. <laughs> Yeah, Justin Thomas for now, though, I doubt that'll hold. But, I mean, yeah. like, even guys like Steve Elkington. I don't think Nick Price won more than one major, did he? I couldn't uh, tell you who, Y.E. Yang. <laughs> Y.E. Yang, for sure. Sean McKeel. Uh, uh, Rich Beam. Rich Beam, yeah. I mean, they're they're it's littered with them. There's dogs. a lot, yeah. And so, yeah, you know, and so I do think that that, I mean, almost Bob May. <laughs> that was amazing. Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, fuck, I forgot about that one. That, that, was one, that, that was one of my favorite moments in Tiger's career, actually. Me, me too. And and you want to talk about a, 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 a just like this this motherfucker shot 66, 66, 66 on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Makes an amazing putt at eighteen to force Tiger to have to bury that six footer. And and it's like he's got to be thinking in his mind, what on earth? Like I played head eyeball to eyeball with this guy for 36 holes shot 66 both days and it's no good (laughs) 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 poor guy but anyway you know i i think that so as far as that like i would put that in the plus column for tony finau that the pga is probably the best one to get as your first major but i'll say this it's one thing to say you have that enormous self-belief and most people i think know that they're supposed to feel that way it's another thing for it to be true. <laughs> and I'm not totally convinced that Fino has that. I think there's a little bit of a fake it till you make it element of that with Fino. That I just think he would have more wins under his belt if he truly felt uh, felt that confident about, about himself in those moments. And so I'm a little bit... Uh, 
Like, I'd like to see him do more winning, period, in order for me to fancy his chances to win. But that doesn't mean for the purposes of fantasy and whether to pick him to come out of Group B that he's a bad choice. I, I, could, see, I could see that golf course suiting him. Uh, you know, and if he putts well enough, he can definitely be a factor. Matsuyama is an interesting cat as far as we kind of look at him totally differently now. Uh, instead of being kind of just like the streaky guy that when he's on, you know, he can take it deep and he wins, you know, once every other year or whatever to like, is this guy an upper echelon, you know, first rate is, does he belong in that conversation with, you know, some of those, you know, is, is he, can he push through from being at the level of, you know, more like a Spieth or a Webb Simpson or a Morikawa? Can he break through that into being considered a Thomas, a Rahm, a McElroy? You know, I, I think, uh, I don't think this is going to be his week. I just think, I think for the rest of the year, he's not going to be a great choice that, that he's going to, he's become such a celebrity in Japan and it's such a life changing thing. And, and it's such an, uh, you know, he, he just seems like the kind of guy that, uh, it's going to be hard for him to dial it in. Uh, just with all that kind of going on in the background of his life. So I think he's he's kind of a fade for me this week. But I'm curious to watch him over the next year or two and see if that Masters is a, is a one-time thing or if that he's going to take those next steps to be, you know, one of the best in the game. Group C, Jason Day, Ricky Fowler, Matt Kuchar, Justin Rose, Bubba Watson, Gary Woodland. I call this the slump group. Such a slump group. Apart from... Uh, last week, Kucha's performance and Gary Woodland's perform. Gary Woodland was has been decent recently. Yeah, he's, it looks like he's starting to turn it around a little bit. I mean, he's definitely out of these six guys. You know, you got to think him and Justin Rose are kind of the the two whose best is the best. Uh, I'm gonna go with Matt Kucha. I think he's just a little bit steadier hand than Gary Woodland on a golf course that punishes. Uh, spraying it in my view so i think that that'll give him the the edge but i mean there could be there could be six made cuts in a win in this group or there could be five missed cuts in this group too so i don't know yeah i, I think that what what this group screams at to me is it, it, it could potentially illustrate the nuance of of golf's weirdness and that is mm -hmm. ricky fowler should not play well but wouldn't it be just so golf for him to go and win this week for sure. And, and it would be such a, the narrative on Ricky Fowler would change so dramatically if yeah. that were the case. It would because be like right a now, huge middle finger. For sure. And all of the, uh, you know, it's probably worth noting that Ricky's biggest win, that player's championship came like, a, if I recall correctly, like a couple of weeks after they did like an anonymous player poll and he won like most overrated golfer on tour. And, and that was a pretty big win, to, you know, especially considering that he, like, birdied the last six fucking holes or whatever that was. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, you know, that was a pretty big middle finger to anyone who thought that about him at the time. So I do kind of like, like the narrative of, like, maybe that there's a little bit of, like, he needs his back against the wall to find it sort of a thing. But uh, but I, I just, you know, it's it kind of seems like the depth, like, what Ricky Fowler is starting to represent is like kind of a little bit what they used to knock like Charles Howell for, where it would be like, here's a guy who's made a gazillion dollars, who's existed on tour forever. And like 
doesn't do a whole lot of winning, you know, does a little, does just enough to kind of hang around, uh, but was like more hype than he was, you know, as, as we like to say here, all hat, no cattle. All fur coat, no knickers. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. All bark, no bite. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Enough of the stupid fucking sayings. Um, but yeah, like I, I it, that, that's that's narrative I buy new. Maybe I'm maybe I'm too much of a romantic, and maybe maybe we both are. We're, we're both a sucker for a good story. Um, mm-hmm. And he missed the cut last week at, yeah, you know, in an event where he shouldn't have missed the cut, um, despite his his poor playing. Um, when he did actually have a point to prove, he could have really gone out and you know got a top ten last week and maybe. You know, put some impotence on his on his selection um, for for the for the sponsor exemption this week, but he missed the cut. Albeit at five under, he still missed the fucking cut again. Um, so who knows what this week brings? But in a, in a slump group where I don't really fancy anyone in there, um, the Ricky Fowler story is the most appealing for me. You're going Fowler, gutsy choice. Group D, the Euro Ryder Cup group: Fitz, Garcia, Lowry, Molinari, Poulter, Westwood. I think the Westwood uh, story, however much fun it was in the spring, I think has come to an end. Uh, I always tend to, I feel like Fitz is such a reliable hand that I'm going with Fitz. I feel like I'm never going to, he's never going to make me regret it. He may never make me love it, but he never makes me regret it. So I think he's kind of the steadiest. His short game is solid. I think this is the kind of golf course where you're going to be forced to save pars pretty frequently. Uh, and it seems like uh, his game is is right there for that. So I'm gonna go Fitz. Matt Fitzpatrick is primed right now to reach the upper echelons. He's he he is someone who I admire so much for making the steady progress year on year, playing European tour events, getting the wins out there, winning bigger bigger championships, etc. Um, and his golf's getting a bit more serious. And this year, for the first time, we've actually seen a bit of a bite, a bit of a fire, you know, a fiery sight to Matthew Fitzpatrick. Which is what I think we were all, especially an English person, as an English person was really hoping for. That, you know, I want to see him getting a bit nasty, a bit more competitive. We saw Alex Fitzpatrick playing the Walker Cup team, of course, his brother. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think, I think, I think th- that brotherhood could be a really big story in English golf moving forward. But for that to really ignite and, 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 and take fire, look at me going for stories again. Um, I think we need Fitz, Fitz to win a major. I think, I think his game's primed. I think, he's, I think this year he's never played as good. Um, very impressive win in Dubai at the, at the turn of the year. Um, and like you say, an absolutely elite, elite ball striking in, in short game. Um, fit fit for any major venue. Um, I like Matt Fitzpatrick in this group. Yeah, I mean, if I had, if I couldn't take him, Molinari's had kind of a sneaky. Sergio's probably another good, good next pick. Molinari's had kind of a sneaky comeback year. He hasn't like contended, but he's had a lot of quality finishes. And and you always like to see guys that are kind of going in a, in a in a that the the trend line of their games is is going in a very positive direction. I think that's for sure true with Molinari. Now whether that translates into you know major championship success, I don't know. But if it turns into a par fest out there, I, I just remember that at least until twelve at Augusta, those first eleven holes. I mean, this guy didn't matter where you put him; he saved par. So. I could see if if the conditions get really brutal that uh, it might suit him, but I'm just not sure the ball striking is there yet. 
Group E is kind of the Young Guns group. Abraham Answer, Daniel Berger, Victor Hovland, Joaquin Neiman, Scotty Scheffler, Corey Connors. Could have put Cameron Smith as that sixth guy now that I think about it. Uh, I got to go Abe. Uh, he, you know, he was kind of my dark horse who I liked early on. Hovland, obviously, he's gonna, I think he's going to be the high ownership choice here. Uh, but I'm, I think I'm going to depart from the crowd a little bit and go Answer. I like Danny's choice in Abe. It's sort of uh, well, not his choice, but his uh, his putting uh, Abe on your radar. Um, yeah, tremendous ball striker, playing better and better golf. Someone whose short game is severely underrated, in my opinion. Um, and again, someone who's shown so many signs of being able to hit those upper echelons, but just hasn't quite got there yet. Daniel Berger's game's not done much for me. I think he had an okay week last week. Uh, I think he had a good final round, a good weekend to finish strong. Neiman's another really good player, but I, I think he's a bit young. I don't think he's quite there on his progression curve. Um, Victor Hovland, I would want to pick. Um, I don't know. I just... Why am I... Uh... Scotty Sheffield's not played enough good stuff. And Corey Connor as well. He's my hero from the Masters, right? He, win, he wins me money every year. Um, and he's solid tee to green. I think he's got one of the highest green regulation. Well, some of the best green regulation stats. He could be a good shout. Maybe a bit long from this week. Victor Hovland's got a bomb in him. Ah, Hovland to answer. You know what? Fuck you, Sam, for no apparent reason. I'm going to go for Victor Hovland just to spite your choice of Abe answer. But <laughs> I love your choice of Abe answer. I think he's a. I think he's a great choice here, and and I think most people are going to land on on Hovland. And I think if Danny hadn't really brought uh, this to my attention, I don't think I would have picked him but uh when i went back and kind of looked at his, his finishes and thought about it i kind of agreed with him so i i, I don't i don't think Hovland's a bad call either group f Terrell hatton patrick cantley patrick reed tommy fleetwood adam scott paul casey hatton's kind of taken steps back to me he seemed to be taking a pretty steady march towards the top of the game and the last kind of yeah, I mean, you know, some of that's dining out on things he's done in the past. Uh, you know, and, and he still has had some good finishes, but I have not seen him contend on the PGA Tour much lately. Uh, and so I, I wonder a little bit if that was a, a, a guy who's, you know, kind of a level or two down from that top 10 level uh, who had a, a great run and is now sort of regressing to the mean uh, rather than setting a new normal. So I think uh, I think I'm definitely passing on. I mean, Cantley has been very quiet. Fleetwood has been relatively quiet. Adam Scott's been relatively quiet. I'm gonna go Patrick Reed. Short game guys have been kind of a theme for me uh, with this golf course because I think saving par is going to be uh, more difficult here than than at most places. And obviously his short game is phenomenal. So I think uh, I think I'm going Reed. It's it's a great choice. The only thing that's I'm leaning, why I'm leaning more towards Terrell Hatton is because he is a really, really gritty player. He does make those par, he makes those six to eight yeah. footers for par, and he's also a good wind player. He's he's a bit shorter. Shorter guys tend to be better in the wind, um, typically. Um, I know from experience because I'm a big lanky idiot, and uh, my ball flight is I send it to the moon, and if there's a slight <laughs> bit of breeze in the face, the ball fucking goes backwards. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think Terrell Hatton's game could be well suited to it. Um, Fleetwood just hasn't shown enough elite stuff for me to to get excited about him this week. Um, 
Casey just I I just don't think he's got a major in him. Really, he, he can win big events. Obviously, he's shown that as recently as this year. But yeah, it just doesn't feature for me. Um, Adam Scott hasn't really done much since 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 COVID return uh, since since uh, the return from from COVID. Um, it's Reed or Hatton for me. I'm uh, I can't pick Reed over Hatton. I'm English. I'm going Hatton. Uh, but I love your pick of Reed again. I think the the short game element to it's a very very valid point, and he's arguably one of the best. Well, he's arguably top three in the world in terms of his short game. So, and I think they're both kind of very similar players. Uh, I think they're both kind of gritty competitors. They're not going to blow you. They're not going to blow you off the charts ball striking wise. Not going to blow you off the charts length wise. But they're guys who score and 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 get a lot out of the game that they have. So I I think there's a lot of overlap kind of in the in the skill sets of those two players. Talking of score, which score wins it this week? God, it's so hard because it wouldn't. Well, let's take a look at what Rory won it at. He, he, he won it eight. He was eight clear. So I'd imagine we were something around fourteen to sixteen under. Surely. Take a look. He finished at. 13. Well, here's a name I don't, I don't even know. Uh, David Lynn? Yes. How did you know that? Because David Lynn also had a chance to win at, uh, at Quail Hollow in the same year. I remember I remember watching him in... Uh, no, not, not the same year. In uh, in 2012. Um, and he almost looked surprised to be there. He, he's an English guy who had a very a fleeting success on the PGA Tour where he got elite for like maybe a year and then just like... I don't know, it's, it's almost like he got a bit starstruck or a bit like, I'm not meant to be here sort of thing, I'm far too normal of a guy, and just never really continued on his success, but he, he had a little period there for about 12 to 24 months when he was uh, he's making some really good finishes. God, I never, if you asked me who finished runner-up and that, I never would have known. Good trivia question. Carl, Pat- <laughs> Carl Patterson's another name I haven't thought of in a while. She finished at 13 under Part of the story of that tournament is that the first day was not that bad, but the wind blew crazy on the second day. But there was also a lot of rain and shit that then softened up the golf course over the weekend. Like, Rory shot 67-66. Lynn shot 68-68 over the weekend. It didn't play that difficult over the weekend. But that was because it got some rain on it. So, I would say... It's played longer this year as well. Yeah, but also technology between then and now, I think... Kind of, kind of makes up for the difference there. I'm gonna say ten under. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little bit. I'll roll it back a little bit from where Rory got to last time. I mean, if you look at, at Rory finished eight clear, but no one else beat five under. So maybe I'll go down. I'll go to eight under as your winning score. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna go to ten. I think so. Yeah, ten. Yeah, I, I just there's some. I mean, like. This is one of those. I mean, and this is a, a big compliment to a golf course. If you're playing well, I don't see this as an unscorable golf course. Like it's not like an Oakmont to me, or even for that matter, like an Augusta National. If you throw out the par fives, where like you're trying to hit to areas of, of the green that are like two, three, four, five paces that you have to work with, or you're in trouble. You know, those greens are rel- relatively flat. It's not that hard to make putts out there. Uh, and so I think I just think that there's enough about it that's gettable that you're not going to see like a crazy even par winning score. Should let's, we do uh, the let's, let, top let's, line parlays? Let's let's do uh, let's do the uh, let's do the Roy Thomas group. 
All righty. Rory minus 125. Thomas minus 105. I went with Thomas in, in Group A, so I'm going to stick with him here. Rory's first rounds still aren't good. He, he, yeah. he, he might have won the other week, but he won with a one-over start. So I like Justin Thomas for this one. Yeah, that's a good call as far as Rory's trouble early in tournaments. This one is oh, hard. Oh, God, this is I, fucking, this is so hard. I'm going to go Bryson because if you throw out the Masters, he's been pretty good lately. Not a lot of like necessarily contending, but not a lot of bad weeks either. Uh, and and DJ just seems like something's not right there. So I think I'm going Bryson. And Bryson drove the ball actually pretty straight in his in his last round. He, he hit some big high straight bombs. At, that seems like it's going to go down well at a course playing over 7,800 yards. So yeah, I like Bryson. Yeah. DJ's far too quiet for my liking. He's someone who just cower away and shoot like a level par. I feel like Bryson... I feel like Bryson's got the edge here, but it's very, very tough call. Absolutely. Uh, and then the third leg, oh. John Rahm minus 120, Xander Shoffley minus 110. It's obvious to me, Xander Shoffley's short game and standard of play compared to what John Rahm's been producing recently leads me to believe Xander Shoffley will win this, but it would be very golf if John Rahm went and shot six under, you know, and he could quite easily go and do it. So I'm going to go Xander, but um, never slag John Rahm off. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go Xander too, if for no other reason than I think part of the phenomenon with Rom as far as having a lot of these top ten major championship finishes that you didn't even notice is that he plays better as the week progresses. And so I think uh you know, as far as the first round goes, I think Shoffley has gotten himself into the conversation a lot uh in major championships lately, so I'm gonna go with him. Awesome. Um, Sam, I, I cannot wait for this weekend at Keir Island. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be special. I can feel it. There's a lot of interesting narratives brewing. Um, Jordan Speed, Justin Thomas, Roy McElroy, uh, Tony Finau, all stories that we'd, uh, we'd love to see unfold. I cannot wait. going to be great. Sam, pleasure as always. Speak to you next week. Sounds good, brother. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.